0: Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats. And before we get into today's flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, I want to remind you about our amazing sponsors at the North Spokane Hemp Company at NorthSpokaneCBD.com. You can find all your CBD needs, my friends. CBD, it's a wonderful thing. This is not medical advice. It's just my personal opinion. Having tried the product, it really does help with things like inflammation, aches and pains, stress, insomnia. I've been an insomniac all my life. And using CBD products is the one thing that has really helped me to get a good night sleep. They have flour. They have tinctures. There is even CBD products for your pets. That's right, because your pets get aches and pains too. At least my big husky does. And the CBD is a wonderful way to help your pets as well. So please head over to North Spokane. That's S-P-O-K-A-N-E, NorthSpokaneCBD.com, and use discount code LIONS at checkout for 15% off your order. Not only that, free shipping, free shipping for every order over $50. That's North NorthSpokaneCBD.com. Use discount code Lions at checkout. My guest today is the president of the Atlas Network, which aims to increase global prosperity by promoting individual freedom. He is also the editor of Poverty and Freedom Case Studies in Global Economic Development. He is Matt Warner. Matt, are you ready to roar? I'm ready. All right, Matt, and before we get started talking a lot about uh, global poverty and, and some of the solutions to that, especially how a lot of these poorer countries around the world have been affected by the response to COVID-19, I want to first get to learn a little bit more about yourself. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you became interested uh, in the ideas of economic freedom and liberty and how you eventually found yourself in your current role at the Atlas Network?
1: Sure. So uh, I, like most people in college, read, you know, widely and toyed with a lot of different um, Uh, sort of idealistic thoughts about the future and um, I ended up volunteering with an organization uh, near my college that was a think tank and of course I at the time was not too familiar with what a think tank does but they were in the business of talking about um, the role of individual freedom in creating prosperity and in looking at economic solutions vis-a-vis government policy Um, that were both um, efficient in achieving prosperity, but also sort of based in sort of a moral understanding of human dignity. From there, I stayed uh, within this uh, community of think tanks, got to know others in other parts of the world. And when my wife got a job in D.C., I followed and um, ended up at the Atlas Network, and I've been here uh, 10 years now.
0: And what is your role like at the Atlas Network? I mean, I think for a lot of people, uh, think tanks are sort of an esoteric idea. They just picture people just sort of sitting around in a room uh, talking about ideas, and that's about it. But what is, the, what is the actual like you know process that you guys go through in trying to promote these ideas and actually see the changes implemented, not just sitting around just thinking about them?
1: Yeah, so in fact, our organization has a bit of a unique role because we are actually in the business of supporting other think tanks precisely so that they are more ambitious, more impactful, and not sitting around talking about ideas only. Um, and so, our organization does uh, a lot of grant making. We support think tanks around the world. We have a network of uh, nearly 500 organizations in 90 countries. Uh, we also do a lot of peer training. We think it's important that uh, people in this very ran, you know, strange um, uh, line of work have peers to talk to to get ideas going, to challenge each other. And so we bring people together from all over the world throughout the year Um, during COVID. We're doing it online, but uh, this has been an important way to raise the bar of how uh, think tanks can be really effective. And the reason think tanks matter so much um, and uh, in my opinion are undervalued or underappreciated is that a lot of the efforts that are made uh, to improve public policy are done through a very political lens. Mm -hmm. We aren't involved in politics. We're involved in ideas And our partners are as well, and they are independent voices. And so, fundamental purity of not representing a particular.
0: Uh, And Matt, you mentioned, uh, you know, COVID-19 there. And of course, COVID-19, not just the disease itself, but the reaction of governments to that disease around the world uh, have really, really caused a lot of economic damage. And to me, it's really demonstrated the failure of what so many people seem to rely on for their sources of information in society. Uh, These major institutions like the CDC, uh, the WHO, uh, so many people, it's just sort of ingrained in the belief system of our society that why would these, why do we not need? These giant organizations. How else would we get our information? How else would we know how to react to things? But the reality, the way things play out, seems to really be the opposite. That these organizations really seem to have no idea what they're what they're doing. So, uh, you know, how how specifically has can you give a few examples of how the reaction to COVID nineteen has demonstrated the failure of those major institutions like the CDC, like the WHO?
1: Yeah. Well, I think this is a really important moment. I mean, if you remember, after the financial crisis, we did a series of uh, what they called stress tests on banks to simulate. You know how they they would do in the face of a real challenge well this has been a real life stress test for our some of our biggest institutions and they have very publicly failed us and the reason why i think this is an important moment is because it's actually helping us have a bigger conversation about what is the proper role of various levels of authority um, and i think there can be a role for some of these institutions like the cdc Um, uh, But it needs to be paired back to uh, something that makes more sense, like uh, gathering and disseminating information, but not uh, being uh, relied upon too heavily to solve all of the crises um, uh, component problems simultaneously, which they will never be set up to do. So at the CDC, you saw, uh, you know, they had. Uh, contaminated testing kits. They were slow to respond. You had widespread, diverse criticism from the people who were um, historically dependent on the CDC just saying, wow, they really screwed this up. Uh, The Food and Drug Administration um, had almost, uh, if if it were a laughing matter, it'd be funny the way that they had prevented entrepreneurial scientists from helping to solve this problem by making them jump through so many Byzantine hoops that delayed uh, so much uh, time and effort in trying to come up with solutions. And so this gets to this question of, um, one, um, what are large centralized authorities best suited to do? And two, uh, what is the best way to handle uncertainty in a country with 300 plus million people? And I think this gets to um, a budding movement that's been happening, particularly in the international space, around the efforts that we invest in foreign aid and in trying to make the world a better place. Um, Our efforts have been disappointing, particularly as you've seen the rise of authoritarian populism around the world. And there's a connection. And that connection is our top-down approach to spreading liberal democracy, to installing um, you know property rights systems and market systems and you know um, stock exchanges in foreign countries um, that has been something that has been too top down such that it has failed the reason why it has failed is not that that the ideas of a liberal democracy are bad it's because they have uh, been uh, thought of as something that you would just have an expert come in and build as a foreigner and just plug and play. Well, that's not the nature of a well-functioning liberal democracy. The biggest innovation of liberal democracy, of course, is that it takes advantage of all of the dispersed knowledge that we all share about our particular lives and our particular wants and desires. That's important knowledge that has to be taken into account in solving the day-to-day problems that we face. A centralized authority trying to do a one-size-fits-all solution Has produced what we've seen, which is one size fits all, does not work. If anyone who who has kids has more than one kid, knows uh, you don't parent every kid the same. Well, that's the essence of human dignity. We are each different. We have different circumstances. We have different values. We have different trade offs that we face. And the empowerment of a decentralized approach to solving problems is not just moral and uh, good, if you like, freedom it's what works and it's why we've become so successful at, to the extent that we have,
0: I think this idea of, of decentralization, of not looking at, at top down structures for all the answers to everything, uh, of not just looking at someone with a bullhorn who's shouting uh, from from you know from the the, the tower uh, to to all of our subjects exactly what they have to do to make everything work, exactly what they have to do to be healthy, to be safe, et cetera, to be economically prosperous. Uh, this this is, it can be often very hard to communicate because it's hard for people to envision a world that's not top top down since they have grown up in a world that is top down Uh, that where all these structures from the time we're born from the time we go to school it's just ingrained in our society that this is the way things are so what are some of the methods that you guys use to communicate these ideas to people to to show people that you know despite the fact that we've that these structures have been ingrained in our society that this is the way things have always been and always should be even though that's, that's not true at all how do you sort of try to open people's imaginations to the idea that you don't need someone just shouting instructions to to all of the subjects of the land, you can actually just decentralize the process and let things work themselves out naturally. Uh, You and I know this, but how do you communicate that?
1: Yeah, well, I think there are opportunities right now to uh, extend our communities and alliances with uh, people who may not agree with us on on everything. For example, in the foreign aid community, you have very progressive type um, organizations who are starting to question um the sort of moral appropriateness of uh white wealthy highly educated people going into other countries and solving their problems for them not only does it undermine their own democracy budding democracy but uh we're not right we don't have enough knowledge to say here is exactly what you should build and how you should do it and there's a laundry list of failure unfortunately Um, One of the most uh, famous um, people may know, Jeffrey Sachs, who's probably the most well-known advocate for the traditional model of um, wealthy countries have an obligation to go in and spend a lot of money and bring in experts and fix the problems of uh, low-income communities. He spent 10 years trying to do this uh, in several countries in, in Africa, and he raised a lot of money to do it. And a journalist who initially was covering him in order to help promote the work he was doing, uh, quickly realized the, uh, and not to disparage him unnecessarily, but the savior complex that was sort of driving his hope to be the one that was going to come and save humanity. Well, uh, time after time, his projects did not work because they were linear solutions for complex problems. One quick example in, um, Uganda, there was a village that historically had always grown uh, a starch that's like a banana. And uh, that was part of their culture and part of what they uh, enjoyed eating and knew uh, how to harvest. Um, Experts from NYU said, oh, you would get a bigger crop yield if you switched to corn. So they spent $300,000 in this small village to get all the farmers to switch to corn. And uh, in fact, it did yield a higher crop. But then uh, they ran into the downstream market problem of there was no one to sell the excess corn to. There was nowhere to store the excess corn and it ended up rotting and attracting a rat infestation. And so what started as something that the locals were grateful for and enthusiastic turned into something they were very resentful about and made them worse off. And this is what I call the outsider's dilemma. We can go and try to do things that we think are good but we might actually be not only ineffective, we might be causing harm. And that's actually more likely uh, than, than many of us realize. I'm just almost finished reading um, Samantha Power's uh, memoir. She was the UN ambassador under uh, President Obama. And there's a lot to like about Samantha Power, but she had this idea that her humanitarian do-goodism could harness the uh, power of the United States to go around the world and solve and solve all of these important problems, and and you feel sympathetic because there are great tragedies happening around the world, and you wish you could just go solve them. But there's something important about the emergent, um, iterative process that that uh, local communities need to be in charge of in order to find solutions that actually fit and work for them, and that is the human dignity angle that's been missing in a lot of our altruism.
0: Yeah, that, that term you mentioned there, the outsider's dilemma, I do believe that is a, a term that you actually coined. And it, it actually goes to really show the, what I see every day when having you know political conversations. And I think, especially in libertarian communities, there's this idea, and it's probably true on some level, to some extent, that a lot of the people in charge of these institutions, of government institutions, are fundamentally evil. Uh, they're they're you know craftily behind the scenes plotting to cause chaos and destruction. And I'm sure there are some people that are that are purely evil in, in these structures uh, along the way. That's just uh, the numbers game. Uh, but I, what you demonstrate through this outsider dilemma is that. Even if they are in completely well-intentioned, even if everyone along the way is completely well-intentioned, and I know that most of the people that, at least outside of those organizations, the people that, you know, the, your average man on the street who just wants to see better things for people, who wants to see people be healthy, who wants to see people in foreign countries that are poor have food, have, have what they need, they don't they don't, they don't see the connection between um, the disconnect between the intentions and the results and that's exactly what think tanks think tanks uh, and people like yourselves are doing is trying to expose them to this truth this truth that despite your intentions, they matter, they certainly matter to an extent. good intentions are good to have, but if your good intentions are producing evil results, then the good intentions themselves are are, are simply not enough. Do you have like a few more examples of how well intended policies, especially when it comes to say foreign aid and helping people kind of in, a, in another place where we're disconnected from, have kind of caused caused the opposite effect of, of what they intended the opposite of of greater prosperity
1: yeah well uh, there's there's actually one here at home so and this is also another example of a non-libertarian who is doing work that is very much aligned with uh, the principles that we've come to see be so effective. His name is Mauricio Miller, and he was a MacArthur grant winner uh, and an Obama appointee. And he served low-income communities in uh, Oakland for 30 years. And he followed for most of that time the traditional model, this idea that uh, low-income communities deserve uh, something from us and that we ought to come in and solve for them these problems. Um, but he saw that what they were doing for many, many years was keeping people in poverty and not uh, actually helping them uh, raise above their station. And, uh, you know, so ideas around, you know, we need to provide them social services. We need to uh, provide job training. We need to provide food and Um, And other opportunities, he started to back up and he radically changed his his model, uh, which he bases on the idea of their own initiative. One of the important um, insights that he brought is that um, people in low-income communities are not lacking for um, knowledge and ideas about their circumstances and how they want to get out of it. And so he realized that we should be harnessing their initiative and following their lead and not weakening the social capital that they're developing locally by infusing a dependency on professional social services. And so he started something very radical where uh, he would uh, uh, support what local communities put together and decided for themselves would would be a way up. And here's a great example um, uh, one of the rules that he he implemented for his staff was to say, if you help one of our clients, meaning someone in, in the low-income community, with anything, you're fired. He wanted it to be really, really um, uh, focused on supporting them uh, in what they, they're doing and not s- rescuing them. Uh, there was a couple within one of their programs who had um, started the conversation uh, towards getting a loan for uh, buying a home, which was something very unusual in that community to own your own home. Uh, Some of the staff got alarmed because they, uh, from the details they understood, uh, were very concerned that this was a predatory loan, a bad loan. They were being taken advantage of. This would be a terrible idea for them. And so they had a meeting with the staff. And Mauricio explains that this was a real uh, test for the philosophy he was trying to experiment with because they all felt certain that this was definitely a bad idea, that they were making a mistake and that they knew better. Um, but he said, let's hold our guns. It's hard to watch, but we need to follow through. Well, it turns out that they bought the house and it was a bad loan. Uh, they didn't appreciate the balloon payments that would be coming and they weren't prepared to um, uh, to meet those obligations. Well, what happened was incredibly uh, hard to predict, which is The community group that they were part of uh, got wind of this predicament, and they all rallied together to uh, work on improving that home in Oakland. They all spent their uh, free time uh, improving the things that were wrong with it, giving it more curb appeal, and the couple was able to get a higher appraisal through which they could refinance to a loan that they had now better understanding about, um, you know, the proper terms that they could accommodate. Not only did this help save their home, it had this diffusion effect throughout the community where other people realized for the first time that they might also be able to own a home, which they had never really considered. So they stopped sending money home to their home countries and they started saving for the first time. And you started to see saving rates go up. And this is a great example of, even when we're so sure we're right, We don't understand the iterative processes of learning and progress that are part of the real world path to prosperity. We all make mistakes, but we learn from them and we pivot from them so long as there isn't some government interference that is either making it harder or trying to rescue us from these things and and distort our incentives. So that was a big wake up call. And it's the kind of model that we need to start applying on a broader basis Looking to local communities and supporting what they're doing and take the humble route of not assuming that because we are in a comfortable position uh, that we therefore now know enough uh, what, uh, what everyone else needs to do with their lives.
0: Hey there, kitty cats. I need to take a quick time out here to tell you about another awesome libertarian podcast. This is our good friends, Nate and Charlie, over at Good Morning Liberty. These son of a guns, they do this thing five days a week and they absolutely kill it. Uh, these guys are both musicians and they both actually own a business working in the healthcare IT industry. So they've seen a lot of what goes on in a, a highly intervened in market like healthcare. So they have a lot of great insights and they really do a bang up job. To talking about current events and really speaking to a lot of the news that's in the headlines and filtering it all through the ideas of liberty and kind of uh, shutting down socialist solutions that come up. So you can find more by subscribing on all your favorite podcasts app. Wherever you listen to this one, you can probably find, not probably, you can definitely find Good Morning Liberty, or you can check out their website, BernieLies.com. What a great name. Head over to BernieLies.com or search for Good Morning Liberty. You are not going to regret subscribing to this awesome show. Yeah, that's a great small example of how you know you can really create change by by just leading through example. Uh you know, by by when you when you act one way and are able to gain prosperity at your home, literally your neighbor might see you do the same thing mm-hmm. and be able to gain more prosperity uh for themselves and their own home. And uh if we kind of sort of uh, inspire that attitude amongst people when it comes to freedom uh, and liberty and economic development. Uh, you know, if, if, it, if it happens in one community and, and, the, and we, see, we see great results, the community next door might say, oh, look, look what's going on here. More freedom, more prosperity. This actually does work. And the community next door might do the same thing and the same thing. And eventually when this starts to happen in whole countries, perhaps countries next to each other might look at uh, each other and say, hey, look what's going on here. More freedom, more prosperity. So it's, it's, just, it's just the opposite of a top-down approach to still get the same results by creating regulatory reforms, hopefully uh, from those institutions that are still in place, that still are acting as top-down institutions. And uh, I, I always try to look at the bright spot in uh, in global situations or whenever tragedy unfolds in life in general. I always try to find you know try to find the good in things. And obviously, nobody, nothing really good is about a, pan, a pandemic that's been going on uh, for the for this entire year here uh, that has caused so many problems, not just for the people, it's affecting health-wise, uh, but even more so the, from the backlash of governments. Uh, uh, imposing draconian economic lockdowns and really exposing the harm that is caused by this top-down approach uh, I think it's one of the the most shining maybe shining's not the word for something so terrible but one of the um, you know the most obvious most glaring examples of how a one-size-fits-all approach literally 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 causes death and destruction uh, we work with uh, an organization called donor C. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them but they really help people um, in foreign countries by setting up projects that people can donate to directly uh, instead of going through some giant governmental organization or even an NGO or even, you know, just a standard giant charity that might spend 60% or 40% of the money they get in on overhead on giant buildings and and things of that nature. Uh, But they're able to get to people directly to get, uh, you know, to get the food and water and the supplies they need, not just to get through a certain crisis, but they also help people uh, build up businesses and that sort of thing. So they can actually achieve their own prosperity. And uh, we're currently donating 10% of our our earnings through Patreon to them to help through their efforts. And that's just one small little way. I mean, we can see the effects when we donate to a project uh, let's say we we donate $150 to a project that lets someone create a well and now an entire community has water and not only that, we can actually see the results of it. Uh, We'll get a video from them thanking Lions of Liberty for helping them build this well and now like hundreds of people are able to access clean water just through the very very small efforts of just a few people who happen to support a small podcast, a relatively small podcast in in the grand nature of things uh, here in the United States and just those little small acts, little things like that where you can see the results right in front of you um, are such just a great example. And one of the reasons we try to promote these things is to show people that, you know, these aren't just theories we have. These aren't just ideas we have about how potentially if we just made some changes, things could be better for people. We can show you real world results, real world, you know, real world actions that have affected people that have helped people's lives. And I want to talk about a lot of the, the, Regulatory barriers that are in place in a lot of countries that where where people are are very poor. I mean, in ways that we can't even imagine here in the U.S. What a poor person is here in the U.S. is a wealthy person uh, in somewhere like Malawi. So, what are some of the like, sort of regulatory issues in countries, especially those that we've seen here through COVID-19 in poorer countries, that could be removed if if we could bring more awareness to these issues through kind of pointing out what's been going on with this with this crisis with this COVID-19? Um, you know, what are some of the regulatory changes that could be made in some of these countries to actually allow people to be more free, to allow people to have you know more prosperity at the local level.
1: Well, that's exactly uh, the kind of thinking we need to start uh, spending more time on. We've been lucky enough to be able to raise more money during this pandemic to help uh, uh, countries around the world and uh, communities here in the U.S. And our model complements what 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 you've just described in in the good work you're doing in that we are supporting very specific deregulatory projects so that there is change at the systemic level. Um, and that can sort of apply to uh, all people in in that country to help carve their own paths to prosperity. Uh, we uh, quickly put together what we called the uh, COVID response fund. Um, and we have supported 25 projects in, in countries all over the world from Burundi to Argentina to here in the U.S., Hungary, India, etc. And a lot of these local think tanks uh, have been very quick to mobilize and identify not only what are some of the um, uh, uh, regulations and barriers that need to be suspended and removed in order to respond promptly to this crisis, but they are things that perhaps are never needed and need to be removed permanently. Uh, These are things as simple as uh, making it much easier to start a business or much easier to um, get a construction permit or much easier to uh, access medical care because the, you don't have um, these sort of bureaucratic gatekeepers. Um, and we've supported things as diverse as uh, in in Sri Lanka. Our, our partner there said, hey, uh, we've discovered this. Uh, one of the reasons why sanitary napkins um, uh, have such um, uh, low use, particularly in rural areas, is there's this high tariff on them that uh, makes it so that women and girls are missing work and missing school and sometimes dropping out because uh, when when they would need sanitary napkins they 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 that they can't get access to because they can't afford them they end up staying home um, and then you have things like here in the U S like cert- certificate of need where instead of using markets to decide whether Um, somebody wants an entrepreneur wants to take a risk to uh, produce uh, equipment or facilities in order to uh, meet demand for healthcare, they have to go through a political bureaucratic process. Um, And that is one of the reasons we were so flat footed because we didn't have the kind of supply that a normal market would, would have available. So we have lots of, of projects that are tackling those kinds of things so that um, not that We know exactly what needs to happen, but we rely on our think tank partners who are local and from the communities to tell us what is going to make a big difference. And they all move in the direction of giving everybody more freedom and choices to solve their own problems. There's a New World Bank study that came out from a friend of mine, Simeon Jankov, who was the founder of what's called the Doing Business Report. It's one of the most successful global measures of by country of how hard or easy they make it for people to solve their own um, uh, uh, economic problems through removing barriers that government imposes and which also create uh, checkpoints for bureaucrats to extract bribes and it 's this huge problem that 's why you have shadow economies and not people participating fully in the in, in the economic system and what this new study says is that We actually are facing what is probably a great window of opportunity because historically, based on uh, their review of 190 economies, uh, times of fiscal crisis, like such as those that we've created for ourselves in response to uh, trying to mitigate the uh, harmful effects of the economic lockdowns, um, those are actually times where instead of becoming more authoritarian, you see more liberal reforms. Um, You start to see governments relaxing or rolling back, um, you know, bad laws that make it harder for people to uh, se- secure property, trade, uh, invest, uh, etc. And so, this is a great time, um, under uh, unfortunate circumstances, for us to all think strongly about uh, what things that we've just sort of inherited, and you know, business as usual in terms of reg- regulation. Let's rethink that because we have the opportunity now uh, to have that conversation. And we're seeing a lot of our partners have success in, you know, telemedicine and, um, and in uh, unilateral trade reform uh, to make it just the whole environment, the economic environment, easier for anybody uh, to uh, find a solution to their own problem, be entrepreneurial, see a change. And when I say say entrepreneurial, I'm not talking about, you know, Silicon Valley startups per se. I mean, we've supported reforms in places like Burundi, where there is a huge, uh, uh, shadow market of street vendors that have historically not been legal businesses because they've made it too expensive and hard to get a license. And so they don't have the legal protections of the police. And in fact, they're the victims of police who can just come and take their cash, take, take all their stuff. Well, we supported a project that succeeded in making it much, much easier, quicker and easier to get a business license. And there's a gentleman there named Papa Coriander. He's known as Papa Coriander because he makes products out of coriander and he's been in business 40 years he has two employees, and uh, he has he has all these stories of being harassed by police. And of course, you're never going to be able to grow your business if you face all of that uncertainty. Right. Well, since the reforms, uh, which are only about a year and a half old, his business has grown to a hundred employees. And in fact, he's not alone. The uh, new business registrations prior to the reforms uh, were five a 5% increase over the previous year. And in the year after the reforms, they had a 49% increase. So this isn't actually things we don't know how to solve. We just have to make it easier for anybody to make their own choices and, and pursue prosperity for themselves.
0: Matt, I think the work that uh, you guys are doing in, in spreading these ideas is, is so important because you know as we've discussed so many times throughout the show, Intentions only mean so much, and I, I personally know so many people that have great intentions that support things that result in horrible, horrible situations. I mean, I know so many people that support the lockdowns just because they, they believe that this is the only way to save people's lives. But with, there's this idea uh, of there's there's what we see out there. You know, you can see one thing. You can see the idea of if we all lock down, less people will get COVID nineteen and less people will die. But then what they don't see is the other side of that. That if you lock everybody down, uh, then they can't you know run their own businesses. They can't can't uh, achieve what they want in life. Because for many people in the United States, you know, a lockdown of a couple months or whatever, you know, it's very inconvenient. Uh, it's very harmful to their economic uh, way of life. It might be hurting their credit status. It might hurt their rent payments. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not the same as a lockdown in a third world country where in many of these places that you're describing, like Burundi, for example, uh, people are living day to day, truly day to day when they're running their business and selling their products at a market uh, on a given day. that's th- That money is what they're earning for that night for that, so they, can, so they can eat that night so they can have a roof over their head that night and, and, and I think that's what a lot of people don't see they don't see the other side of the policies that they support so I'm so glad that people like yourself are out there trying to at least open, show people the light a little bit and uh, open that door to new ideas so they can actually see that despite the best intentions the top down approach simply does not work and it actually causes so much more harm despite the fact that there may be many people with good intentions along the way uh, one more question I just want to ask you Matt as people are, are here listening to this and kind of absorbing these ideas, what are some things that people can do on the individual level, not just to literally help people? Of course, they, you, know, you can always go to Donor C and other organizations that are helping people on the ground uh, in a literal way, but how can, what sort of actions can individuals take to help promote these ideas, to actually spread this knowledge in a way that will actually produce the changes that we want to see, the regulatory changes that we want to see, and help create more freedom and prosperity around the world?
1: Well, I think one thing that they can do is increase their own civic participation in whatever community they are living in. Um, we support think tanks in um, con- countries all over the world. And there's probably one um, uh, where most most of, of your listeners live. We have 160 partners, for example, in the United States alone. So um, I would recommend that if you go to our website and look at, um, at it's at atlasnetwork.org and look at. At our partner directory, you might be able to find uh, an an organization near you that you can check out and see if um, if if you can support either in terms of helping to get the word out about what they're working on or supporting them them financially. If you're interested in supporting uh, projects around the world, our our model uh, it's all private funding, and we have a lot of donors who who uh, give us money so that we can then use our, um, our, our in, internal monitoring and evaluation system to find the best possible use of actually achieving change with, uh, uh, with that funding. So I think there's a range of things to do. And then on a personal level, uh, I, I would just encourage people to really uh, evaluate um, how they respond to crises. Um, one of the things that we know in facing uncertainty um, is that there is this human instinct to just want someone with enough power to solve it for us, and so, but of course, we're often trading freedom for that that security, which is all often false security. I think we can take a cue from Bill Gates, who who you know knows something about uh, trying to solve problems and facing uncertainty. And early on in this crisis, he invested billions of dollars in seven different vaccines simultaneously, knowing that probably only one or two would work. Well, that's called hedging your bets. Um, in public policy, if if we look to central authorities to give us one solution, um, uh, we, we're, we're not hedging our bets and we're not learning. So increasing your, um, your trust in this uncoordinated experimentation-based process of freedom, which allows lots of different people to try lots of different things and then learn from each other quickly. I think... Uh, that deeper appreciation for, um, for the benefits of freedom, not just the moral justification that of course freedom has, that we all ought to be free based on hum- human, dignity, but that it, it, it works. And, um, and, and maybe spend a little less time, uh, focusing on, uh, you know, who disagrees with you and how much you want to shout them down, which, Uh, I don't think it's as productive.
0: Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate not only just coming on the show and sharing uh, this, these ideas with us, but uh, doing this globally <laughs> through, through your work at the Atlas Network. I think there's nothing more important than spreading these ideas of liberty because the more we spread the ideas of liberty, the more we will see the results of those ideas of liberty, the more we will see greater prosperity uh, and, and economic prosperity around the world. So thank you so much for what you're doing. I want to encourage people to go check out the Atlas Network over at atlasnetwork.org. And uh, why don't you just let people know what's the best way to find, find the book? Book uh, "Poverty and Freedom: Case Studies on Global Economic Development" and just you know, feel free one more time to just plug away on anything else you you want to promote.
1: Yeah, if uh, well, the book is, is on Amazon.com. We've we've made it uh, as affordable as possible in cooperation with Amazon. Uh, so we encourage you to check that out, and you can also go uh, to uh, povertyandfreedom.org to watch some amazing videos of human stories uh, that really illustrate what we've been talking about today, which is uh, the power of the individual once a barrier is removed from some of these really inspiring think tanks to understand what a difference it makes both in their lives and and the the lives of other people. So go check out a few of those uh, videos. Tell us what you think. You can go um, on our uh, social media and get involved, and we really appreciate Uh, your engagement in any way that makes sense to you. So uh, thank you so much. And and thank, thank you, Mark. This has been a great opportunity.
0: Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate your time. Keep up all the great work and keep on roaring. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt Warner of the Atlas Network. Please do check out the work they're doing at atlasnetwork.org. And this really ties in to something I want to remind you guys about once again is that 10% of our earnings from Patreon, which entirely funds this show, are going to our friends at DonorSea to help their efforts with people affected by the coronavirus lockdowns and really their overall efforts to end the lockdowns overall, especially to end the lockdowns in third-world countries where as we discussed people are so much more greatly impacted. So please do head over to donorseatcom slash coronavirus to check out all the projects they're doing over there and head over to Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Support your favorite libertarian podcast. Support the greatest libertarian variety show on earth because as you guys know... It's not just me here every single Monday. We've got Brian McWilliams slapping you upside the head every single Wednesday with his very special, very eccentric brand of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermat wraps things up every single Friday with his incredible, hard-hitting, and inspirational look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday, one button, the subscribe button. You hit that anywhere on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio. We're all over the place. Anywhere you find podcasts, Spotify, uh, you hit that subscribe button, you get all three of those shows for free. And again, if you want to support the show, if you want to help fund what we do here at Lions of Liberty, want to help us grow this show and do even, even more with it in the months and years to come, please do head over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty and know that 10% of those donations will go towards our friends at Donor C, helping people around the world dealing with these lockdowns as well. One more thing I want to mention, we are going to do a very special show in the coming weeks here looking at questions that were provided by fans of the show who are leaving us reviews on iTunes. So head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Even if you don't use iTunes to listen to the show, head over to iTunes because it's still the uh, the biggest place, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. I'm old school. Uh, leave us a five-star review. And in that review, if you ask us a question, we will answer that question on a future public show. Uh, Myself, Brian, and Odie, at least, will be on the show to answer these questions that you guys have. So this is just another easy way that you can help the show and become a part of the show at the same time. Before I sign off here, I want to read a couple of the recent reviews from Patreon. I will leave out the ones that have questions, or I will at least leave out the question portions, since uh, we're going to save those for the show. But we got one review from Sam Engel. Sam says, Felony Friday is one of my... Favorite episodes that they do, you son of a gun. Here I am reading it, but he said he made up. He made up for himself. Mark Claire is also fantastic, although he did spell my name wrong, but I will allow that. Uh, we also have a review from OSU Ace. He says, consistently great and insightful content. If you've ever liked the cut of anyone's jib, you'll like the cut of Brian McWilliams. I don't have much money, so I only support their shows at the $5 a month level, but if I were a millionaire, I would strongly consider $10 a month. Okay, well, that's that's something. I would like to think you could up it a little more than $10 if you became a millionaire, but, you yeah. know, it's your money. It's your future potential lottery money. You do what you want to do with it. Uh, this is a long name. 6BB1DD9MM <laughs> says, this podcast is an awesome way to keep up with all things liberty. I love the felony Friday ones the most. Question show topic for John. Well, I'm going to leave that one hanging because we're going to save that one for the show. One more from Weathered Soul Bruce. He says, nowhere's on the interwebs. Can you find three intensely more informed people than those on these three podcasts and their guests? Always my first go-to on my weekly listens. And you know what? I may as well get a couple more in here, actually, while we're here. While we're all sitting here together having a good time, uh, I've got another one from Weatherman. He says, I love this podcast. It's funny, interesting, and informative. He then has a question that we will, of course, save for that show that I mentioned. Uh, Five Finger Lenny says, overall recommended listening. The viewpoints are refreshing and it's not full of talking points. IDA Jack says these guys do a great job of mixing entertainment with current events and reasonable opinions with solid fact-based knowledge. Their diverse coverage of relevant libertarian activities as well as current events makes it one of the most worthwhile podcasts to subscribe to. And finally, we have Slumdog Millionaire. Millionaire is in parentheses. Uh, I've been listening to Lions of Liberty for three months or so now, and I've had my opinions challenged, felt offended, comforted, and had plenty of good laughs. The folks over at LO know how to put together well-rounded interviews and arguments. My personal favorite series is ELL with the host, Brian McWilliams. And we then have a question for Brian. That Again, we're going to save that one for the show. So please, if you'd like one of your questions answered on this future podcast here on Lions of Liberty, please do head over to iTunes, search Lions of Liberty. It'll pop right up. Leave us a five-star rating and a great review and include that question and we will do our best to give it an answer. Until next time, folks, it has been an amazing week as always. And I'll see you next Monday. Until then, live
1: long
0: and live free.